0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today that's shopify.com system
1: we've got to get this episode recorded quickly we all want to see the january 6th hearing this morning it's today in ohio the news podcast discussion from cleveland.com and the Plain dealer i'm chris quinn i'm here with lisa garvin laura johnston and layla Tassi. if you think you'll have it on in the background today will anybody in our newsroom get work done laura what do you think
2: I hope they get work done (laughs) because we need stories on our site that are not related to January 6th. But Uh, I do think it'll be one of those things that everybody has on in the background. And when they hear something interesting, their ears will perk.
1: Well, I don't know if the TVs are working in the newsroom yet. So Wednesday, this could be a problem because that's the next hearing. We'll have to hurry up and get it. But it is that.
2: always fun to be in a newsroom in a communal space when that kind of stuff yes. is going on. Because it's like the, hey, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Kind of. Uh, it, it's when you're glad that you are, you know, it's like the adrenaline pumping newsroom kind of Let's feeling. be honest. Everyone well, is like... so
3: happy to be in the newsroom again. That is any work getting done when we're all together. <laughs> 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 anyway.
1: Actually, I think there's lots Lots of work getting done. Meeting, people are gathering it's, and you're meeting. You're right. It's all that kind of work.
3: It's the it's the
2: discussion. It's not necessarily showing up on the website yes, at the exact right. Moments. It's the other yeah. kind. Yeah.
1: No, it's the, <laughs> the creativity. The that synergy. The right. reporting and <laughs> helps new reporters learn the culture. And yeah, all yeah, that blah and blah. Geez. All right, let's get started. Ohio is taking seemingly forever to get sports gambling launched, like it did with medical marijuana. How does Ohio compare to other states, Lisa? We were just curious to see if we're laggards in everything we do in Ohio.
4: Well, we're kind of at the back of the pack, but there are some states that it took a lot longer to roll out their their uh, sports betting. Michigan took 399 days, and it was another couple of months before they had uh, you know online gambling. Um, Tennessee took 489 days from the time their legislation was signed, but they had to build their their uh, gambling and casino thing from scratch because they didn't have legalized gambling in the state at all. At least Cleveland does have casino gambling. Um, on the short side, Iowa took only 89 days. So just under three months to get theirs going. And our next door neighbor, Indiana, about 116 days. But yeah, and Ohio, we're waiting. I mean, we have to have it up and running by january 1st of next year so we we have to hit that deadline not that we did with medical marijuana but uh it has been through that will be 374 days since the bill was signed in december 2021 um there's a huge gauntlet that this process has to go to uh lobbyists for bar owners andy Hurf says there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and he's right there's the Casino Control Commission that establishes rules and applicant qualifications. Then there's the Common Sense Initiative that reviews the proposed state rules for business effects. The Joint Committee on Agency Rule Review signs off on the rules, and that includes state lawmakers on that panel. And then the Ohio Lottery Commission that re- it regulates betting kiosks at bars and restaurants. They have to approve the kiosk vendors and pre-approve the businesses that will have these kiosks. And then the ohio development department certifies if smaller companies or smaller counties rather can guarantee or document 4 million visits before approving physical sites in some of these smaller counties so yeah a big gauntlet to run through between now and january 1st
1: yeah it does seem that we're always slow in this case you you do hope they dot all the i's cross all the t's there is room for corrupt things to happen here. And by putting in very strong guardrails and very clear systems, if they're doing that, could make this a better a better play for Ohio. Hey, and at least they didn't put the unemployment office in charge of it cuz then it would never get done. Well,
4: and and to be fair, they were saying cuz some states did a phased rollout where they would, you know, do online first and then physical, you know, things later. But, you know, Ohio officials say a phased rollout could have left bars and restaurants out of the action for far longer, so they figured a universal start date for all forms and, and types of betting is the best.
1: Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. We wondered last week whether duplicity by the Houston Texans might give the Browns a way to negate the controversial trade for Deshaun Watson. With all the controversy involving this quarterback, are the Browns trying to get out of this mess, Layla?
3: No, no, not at all. You know, the Browns appear to be fully committed to their guy. They're not wavering from the deal which, uh, let me remind everyone, is a fully guaranteed $230 million contract. The Browns do have protections built into this contract that enable them to void it if issues come to light that would prevent him from f- from fulfilling his duties. But even the 24th lawsuit filed Wednesday against Watson accusing him of sexual misconduct hasn't given the Browns pause on either the contract or their trade, which included sending three first round draft picks and three other picks to the Texans in exchange for Watson and a sixth rounder, even though the Texans will soon be added to those lawsuits as a defendant accused of enabling Watson's misconduct. So... Mary Kay Cabot says at this point, it's almost a foregone conclusion that the NFL will suspend Watson from the league, either for a specific number of games or indefinitely, in which case he'd have to miss the entire 2022 season and he'd have to apply for reinstatement afterward. He could also be fined, but pretty much only criminal charges could change the way the Browns feel about Watson at this point, and no one expects that to come to pass. In the meantime, he's just schmoozing his teammates he took them all on you know an all expenses paid trip to the Bahamas they 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 love him they love him
1: you know I've got to tell you I I send out a text message each morning about something we're working on and last Thursday I sent out a text about the Sean Watson and I got blitzed by responses and this isn't a sports thing this is a news text but I more than 150 responses. On Friday, I sent something else out <laughs> people instead of responding to what I sent and said, you know, I want to talk some more about yeah. Watson. And I got, you know, probably another 50. And it's overwhelming. They don't want hmm. this. There they, 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 are people that think the Haslams have made the worst decision in the history of football teams. There are people now calling for them to sell it because it's irrecoverable. And it keeps coming. And I just... It, I, I'm surprised at how vehement this is. And, you know, they're, they, I think they gambled that this would go away like a lot of sports controversies, but this one just keeps building. I keep getting messages from people. And when, if you just look at the women, I, that's, you know, almost all of them are saying, I'm done with this team. I can't believe they betrayed me. I've been a fan forever. I'm surprised that they're, they're so ready to say we're standing by him because – they might have an out they might be able to get out of this and the fact that they have no desire to is a bit of a surprise because this is a nightmare for them he's probably not going to play this year
3: i mean really since the start of the me too movement can you think of anything else like this can you think of any other institution or company or i mean that that has stood by someone under circumstances like this i i
1: cannot it's worse they went and recruited under right. right. these circumstances. Under these
3: circumstances, just, right.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just, and and it it's so overwhelming what people have to say. So I was surprised at Mary Kay's story. It's just like, oh no, they're all in. They're all in. It's like, wh- Why? what are you thinking? If you have a possible out, why wouldn't you at least explore it? Because uh, he might not play this year or next year. Who knows how long. This will go. And you got to think there'll be another grand jury because more women are coming forward. And, you know, eventually there could be criminal charges, which would be a game changer. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I agree with everything you guys have said. I also did read Ted's column, Ted Diaden's column on mm-hmm. Sunday. And I don't often say I agree with Ted. And <laughs> I don't agree with everything Ted said. But I do think there's a huge contingent of Browns fans that if he gets to play and they start winning, that it won't matter. And as sad as disgusting as that is, I do think that sentiment is out there. I think overwhelming as the other stuff is, and I think that they will lose a lot of fans, but I think there are other people that will side with winning and uh, and the The, team. The stadium will will not be empty. That's sure. (laughs) Right.
1: I heard from people that say, I've, I ha- can't remember the last time I've disagreed with Ted Dyden, but I think he's absolutely oh, wow. wrong in this case. Uh, I think Ted was way off the
4: mark. Oh, on this I, 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 I disagree with he... you. I think he's, you know, I mean, there have been criminal NFL players, you know, that have actually been convicted of a crime and are still allowed to play. So, yeah, and their fans are still going to the game. So I think Ted's kind of got his finger on it there. He goes to the game, so he would know i I don't think that he should
3: i I don't believe the browns obviously I think this was a horrible choice and yes. and I don't if I were a Browns fan, this would be the end of my of my commitment to the browns and i I think you know I'm, I have a lot of friends who are in the same position, but I think Ted is correct that a lot of Browns fans will not lose their loyalty over this, so I don't think the stadium's going to be empty.
4: Mm-mm.
1: Okay. You're listening to today in Ohio. What a police think about the debate over putting more restrictions on gun sales, a debate that has been raging after some high profile mass shootings. Laura, it looks like the, the, legis- the legislators in Washington have come up with a deal to do a couple of little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we wanted to get the idea of the police because they're the ones that will be dealing with any carnage that results from the freewheeling gun climate. And is it today or tomorrow that concealed carry is now permitless in ohio i I believe it's today yeah Yeah, today
2: and and this is the thoughts was the fop well actually i shouldn't say the fop the police chiefs were against this bill when it came out the law enforcement said you know we're for the second amendment but we're not for this bill because it relies allows people to carry guns without any kind of training and that is you know that they're they're very wary of what this could mean. So Olivia Mitchell and Kay- Kaylee Remington talked to a bunch of police officials about their feelings, and they do feel conflicted. And they did lobby against this. They said, "We're all for freedom of speech, but we don't want someone yelling fire in a crowded theater." That was Lakewood Captain William Albrecht. It's the same with Second Amendment. Law enforcement supports it, but like the freedom of speech, there has to be common sense involved when someone is choosing to legally exercise this right. So. Because under permalist carry, the, during the traffic stops, drivers don't have to tell officers that they have a weapon unless they are asked first, which you got to think that's going to be the first thing they start asking. And they can carry a weapon without training if you're 21 and older. That had been required uh, six in a classroom and two range for anybody to do it before.
1: So you think that's going to be the first question police ask yes. when they pull you over now? No, hey, can I see your
2: license? I think it's going to be, do you have a weapon?
1: Wow, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I did, I received a note from a reader over the weekend that said, you know, with all the talk about permitless carry, people have the idea that it's just freewheeling. Anybody can grab a gun, but there are some basic responsibilities that anybody with a gun has. I mean, you're supposed to keep it locked up and away from children, and you, you can't just point it around willy-nilly. And they suggested that we put together a list of the basic responsibilities you have if you are a firearms owner, well, it's a good is idea.
2: This, I agree, but is that a responsibility or is that a law? I mean, the whole point of the concealed carry training was to teach you to be a responsible gun owner.
1: Right, but because you're not getting that training now, they're suggesting that, that we could help do a public uh. service if we lay out some of the basic responsibilities you do have when you are carrying around a firearm or in possession of a firearm. So it's something we probably should do. Probably should have done it before today. (laughs) You're listening to Today in Ohio. With most primaries over and the November contests mostly set, not for the legislative offices in Ohio, we have our first look at which candidates have the most campaign money to spend. Who's ahead in the key statewide races for senator, governor, and chief justice of the Ohio Supreme Court? Lisa? Well,
4: uh, the article didn't have any uh, figures on the Senate race, so I guess we'll ignore that one. But um, so yeah, looking at these races um, and the money that they've raised, the Republicans are clearly outraising the Democrats here in Ohio. For Governor Dewine, he raised two million in the last three months. He has seven million on hand. He spent about three point one million on the primary election. His Democratic opponent now. Whaley raised half of what he raised in the last three months at $1 million, but she spent about 528000 on the primaries, and she only has about $728,000 in cash on hand, but she owes about half of that to campaign vendors. Looking at the Secretary of State race, Frank LaRose raised about $321,000. He has almost $2 million in the bank. His Democratic opponent, uh, Cincinnati Councilwoman Chelsea Clark, she raised a mere $26,100, only has $34,800 in her campaign chest. For Attorney General Dave Yost. He raised $152,000 in the last three months, close to $2 million in his bank. And then his uh, Democratic challenger, Palmer State Representative Jeff Crossman, he only has about $129,700 in cash on hand. He raised about $54,000 in the last three months. Looking at the Chief Justice race, Republican Sharon Kennedy, she raised about $186,000, but she has $812,000 in cash, um, that compares to her Democratic uh, challenger Jennifer Bruner. She has about she raised about the same amount of money in the last three months, but she only has about four hundred thousand in cash on hand.
1: What and you're right. The federal offices have a different deadline. I shouldn't have asked about the Senate. the The, the problem with these figures is that so much money is spent by outside groups that this can be misleading like the, in the chief justice race we expect millions of dollars to be spent on that by outside groups trying to help steer that race that it that is a bit harder to track uh, so, so yes they raise their money they put their message out there but in the end it's it's more a product of of outside forces.
4: right and it seems that the outside forces are mostly betting on Republicans this time I mean Democrats are drawing some out-of-state money but not nearly as much
0: That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Cleveland is moving ahead with a substantial capital spending budget, more than $50 million. What's it going to pay for, Layla?
3: Well, so yeah, City city Council approved this list of projects last week. And, and the one that Courtney Astolfi signaled on that she thought readers would find most delightful, of course, is the restoration of the historic Euclid Beach Arch that Still stands at what was once the entrance of the former Lakefront Amusement Park on Cleveland's northeast side. It's going to be restored and then relocated further into the grounds of the of Euclid Beach, which is now occupied by the Cleveland Metro Parks. It was built between 1895 and the 1920s. It kind of depends on who you ask, and and the the amusement park closed in 1969. So we thought a lot of nostalgic Clevelanders would really like that idea. But that's just one of the projects that Justin Bibb is uh, has pitched. Uh, the West Side Market is going to have four and a half million dollars worth of repairs, fire station repairs, some recreation centers are going to get uh, complete renovations. The police sta- stables will get two million dollars in, in uh, site repairs and construction and uh, and things like that. So she has the complete list of projects on, on Cleveland.com.
1: Is this, this is their, every, they bond the money every yeah. couple of years and they, they put a, pour a lot of it into the capital Exactly. This isn't stimulus. No, money, no,
3: yeah. And in like fact, that. it seems that there was, there were quite a few millions that were left over from past projects that uh, either, you know, they set aside money for cost overruns that never came to pass or, you know, they just... Had a little bit left over that they moved forward into this budget and were able to do a little bit extra with it. Uh, city council was sort of scratching their heads about that, you know, like, wait a minute, does this mean that we missed out on not using this for past projects? But, you know, city, the city was like, you know, listen, we <laughs> we're going to spend this on actually fixing up our city. Don't don't, don't second guess it. Let's move forward and uh, and and do do what's right with this money. So. So yeah, there was
1: All right. I'm I'm not a native Clevelander even though I've been here for almost half my life so so for the native clevelanders what is the significance of that arch
4: well oh okay uh, no no please lisa i i don't know much about euclid beach oh okay yeah and euclid beach was where we went as kids until it closed in 1969 so anybody in my age group and you know boomers of a certain age that it's a big deal and if you see where the arch is now There are apartments behind it. I mean, you know, it has no physical connection to the actual Euclid Beach Park now because the amusement park, of course, you know, when they closed that, it shrank the area. So, yeah, it's sitting just, like I said, in front of some apartment buildings.
1: So this was a traditional 1950s era kind of amusement park? Yeah.
2: It was. And it had, you know, it had a big coaster that drew people. I mean, it started like Cedar Point did. People were coming to the beach for the water and then it just grew and grew and grew. And at one point it was like this huge political mecca too. like this is where all the politicians would stop by when they're campaigning. I think Kennedy was there at one point. So, um, yeah, it has a huge, like important role in a lot of Clevelanders memories of like good times in summer.
1: And that's the one where the carousel was preserved. Yeah, the,
2: that's now at the, the Western Reserve Historical Association. Mm-hmm. So
1: Okay. We're gonna preserve that arch. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the facts in the strange story of a Hiram College student who could spend a long time in prison over the death of a baby she says she has no memory of having? Laura Corey Schaefer wrote a story that raised very serious questions about the evidence used to persuade her to take a guilty plea.
2: Yeah, this is a fascinating story. Um, a nineteen-year-old college freshman, she's four foot eleven and about hundred and ten pounds, had no idea she was pregnant. She thought she had bad period cramps. She thought she was constipated, and then she gave birth in her dorm bathroom in October of twenty nineteen. The baby was found in a trash bag. Later, the question is whether the baby was born live or still stillborn. And so the medical examiner's office used this test called a float test. Uh, looking at the lungs to see if they floated. and this idea would be if they had air in them, if they floated, that the baby had been alive outside the womb. But this has been used since the 1700s, but it is wildly, widely uh, thought to be discredited because there's a lot of ways that air could be forced into a baby's lungs.
1: right, just just the the birth process mm-hmm. can, because it's can can squeeze there's a natural uh, uh, import. And I I thought it was interesting that our very own coroner, the guy that Mm -hmm. runs the office, has signed an affidavit saying this is a discredited test, and yet it was his office that used this to say this baby was born alive.
2: Right, because the Portage County Medical Examiner went to the Cuyahoga County examiner to use this. And you're right. He's among 46 medical examiners, coroners, professors, and forensic pathologists who signed a letter that said, this is not legit, but they still used it in court. And, um, I I understand it's such a weird case because she like, Totally didn't know she was pregnant and not even after the fact she kept saying I wasn't pregnant. She's been diagnosed with psychosis local amnesia. She'd been admitted into the hospital psychiatric unit. So I don't think we're dealing with someone who you know can tell us what happened here. But she faces a prison sentence of up to 16 and a half years in prison based on her plea to involuntary manslaughter. What's weird is there was just another case two weeks before she was set to go to trial that in Geauga County, they convicted a 51-year-old woman of murder for leaving a newborn in a dumpster in 1993. It took her this long to be found out who she was. And so maybe that kind of played into, well, let's just plead guilty because... She's getting life in prison.
1: Yeah, although is that really the best way to serve justice? Is no, I don't To scare the it defendant is. so badly that they take a plea. I mean, up until then, the defense was saying y- you don't have proof this this baby was born alive. Mm-hmm. That the the test you're using is not realistic. And if they would have been able to go to a jury, they might have been able to discredit it. But with what the Jaga County woman got, they got scared, and so they took a plea. That that's not justice. That's that's gamble. you
3: know in the case of this this college woman it strikes me that the preponderance of the evidence of her psychosis should be enough uh, in her defense because it doesn't matter if the baby was born alive or still i mean her she, if she was psychotic when this occurred i mean that that's really the question right uh
2: yeah, absolutely. And, and and what danger is she to society at I mean, she, point, should right? to she should be hospitalized. She should be hospitalized. I mean, I,
3: I right. covered I cases like that. Prison. I remember a case I covered where uh, there was a mother who drowned her two children um, and she oh. was hospitalized uh, in, in per- per- perpetuity. I mean, that was that was her sentence that she was deemed to have been. Uh, I think it was the only case I, I ever recall where where that was the outcome. She was not in prison. She was, you know, that was the sentence.
2: Right. Like, what good is going to come of sending this? Woman
3: right. To prison right. For and so, is it really the years? question of whether or not uh, you know should she be really facing a criminal charge at you know a criminal sentence like that? We should be discussing. I mean, clearly, the psychosis is the is the question, right? I, I don't know. I am.
1: Well, but but if the baby was not born alive, then there is no crime, or I guess there's abuse of a corpse or something like that. I I I think that the the prosecutors, the detectives, they had a duty to figure that out before proceeding. You're right, well, well but if she's got psychosis. She needs treatment, but if the baby wasn't born alive, this is a completely different case, and they haven't proven oh, the baby true. was born alive.
2: They haven't, but Corey Schaefer wrote the story, and he did a really good job talking to people, and they said there is sometimes no way to know. Like, you that scientifically, you cannot prove this okay. one way or another. And, and so,
1: th- then you have the presumption of innocence right. in this country. So, if you can't prove a crime happened, you don't just say, well, let's go with the crime happened. You go with the crime didn't happen. This seems like a a really miscarriage of justice by the Portage County Prosecutor's Mm -hmm. Office. Great stuff by Corey Schaefer. Check out the story. It's on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Does Cleveland suddenly have a Seattle fetish? What's with all the Alaskan air tickets being sold to go there? Lisa, this is not one of those stories that just seems like a natural.
4: Well apparently the Cleveland-Seattle route is pretty busy anyway but uh, Alaska Airlines is starting a new daily nonstop route between Cleveland and Seattle starts this Thursday. This is the first time that they've had a nonstop route to Seattle since United closed its hub at Hopkins in 2014. The airport has been working diligently to get daily year-round service back for several years. Seattle is the top market that is uncertain Served by nonstop service from Hopkins. So even without Alaska service, 300 people a day fly between the two cities. The Alaska service will add 178. 178- Seats each way. And this comes despite Alaska cutting their summer schedule by 2%. As we know, all airlines are suffering from staffing shortages, canceled flights, and a lot of them are trimming their summer schedule. So here they are launching an ambitious new route despite cutting back on others. Now, Jobs Ohio guarantees a certain level of revenue for Alaska Airlines for the first 12 months. So that would minimize their risk of launching a new route. Although uh, Brett Catlin, who is the VP of Network and Alliances, Alaska says they probably won't use that money at all and certainly not right away they say ticket sales are already beyond their expectations
1: yeah it just it just seems an odd one what is the the Cleveland Seattle connection anybody know anybody have a speculation
2: I, I mean I just flew to Seattle in February and I didn't have to pay the giant prices uh because I guess people still weren't traveling yet because of COVID I only spent a day or two in the city, because I ended up going to Whistler and Vancouver. But I think it's just the West Coast allure, right? It's it's Washington State. There was a line around the block to go into the original Starbucks. That was not something I lined up to do. But <laughs> I think people, you know, in the summertime, it's 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 nice to go to the Pacific Northwest. There's all sorts of outdoor things you can do. You can go to the islands. And um, I don't know, I think a lot of people, it's on their bucket list. And maybe after COVID, they're like, All right, I'm working through this bucket list now. And it's close
4: to Portland, yeah, so. Mm -hmm. All right, you're listening to Today
1: in Ohio. All right, Laila, you get to answer the question. You've been waiting all weekend after you didn't get to deal with it last week. How might an independent conservative candidate entering the race for Ohio governor change things? And how likely well, is it?
3: For the record, I'm less excited today than Friday, so I guess I'll talk about it. <laughs> the candidate is is Reverend Neil Peterson. He's a Dayton area pastor. He's cons- he's a conservative, and he's critical of how Mike DeWine handled COVID. He Peterson hasn't been cleared for the ballot yet. He he might not even be allowed to run as an independent because he voted in the primary as a Republican. And there are rules about that. And he kind of stands a snowball's chance, right? But but the Democratic candidate, Nan Whaley, is, is hoping Peterson will siphon just enough votes from DeWine's base to deliver her a victory. As for his platform... Uh, Peterson said he he decided to to run for governor because he sees Dewine's decision to shut down businesses and schools uh, as a as a leadership failure during the early days of the pandemic. He also said if he were governor, he would push state lawmakers to pass House Bill 248, which would forbid employers from requiring employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. He says he has personally written more than 250 religious exemption forms for people to avoid vaccines, and he's a proponent of access to unauthorized health alternatives like ivermectin. Beyond COVID, he is for abolishing the state's personal income tax without a plan for how to make up for that lost revenue, and he also thinks the state should use the money for unemployment and welfare and give it to employers instead as part of some trickle down economics plan in the hopes that it would encourage employers to create higher paid jobs or something. So I almost stopped reading after that. But for you, Chris, I persevered (laughs) in this story.
1: Well, you lost me at ivermectin. (laughs) Right? I'm, I'm like, I'm that rare person that actually uses ivermectin for what you're supposed to. I use it with my dog. It's how once a month she gets it. And that's how she doesn't get Heartworm. That's that's the point of it. It's a heartworm medicine for animals. How that has become this fictional cure for COVID. It's the craziest thing. It's a worm medicine. So once somebody says you're that, right. it's like saying I believe that, that Trump won right. the election. It's just like okay, you're no longer a credible person. You're you're kind of kooky. We're we'll, we're done with you. Ivermectin stone election. Kind of the red flag that this is not somebody that's thinking clearly. And probably needs right. Nan Whaley
3: loves this guy though because she says, you know, her campaign put out a message that's like he's everything Mike DeWine wishes he was.
4: <laughs> 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 so it's pretty funny. okay.
1: All right, well, there you go. I don't think he'll get into the race, and probably better for everybody not to have to go through these harebrained debates. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for Monday. And we'll head off to listen to the January 6th hearing. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening to this podcast.